Welcome into episode 193 of the Modern Drummer Podcast with Mike and Mike. And this episode is brought to you by Dream Symbols. If you are in the Brooklyn or New York City area, June 3rd, the Dream Team is going to be hanging at Strange Weather Recording. So if you're in the area, go over there. It's, a, it's Monday, June 3rd, 6 p.m. And then the next day, they're going to be, so June 4th at 6 p.m., they're going to be across the river at Kaleidoscope Sound in Union City, New Jersey. And then June 5th, they're going to be down in Cockeysville, Maryland at Stages Music Arts. And then June 6th, they're going to be in Baltimore at Magpie Cage Recording Studio. So if you're in any of those areas, which would be Brooklyn, Union City, New Jersey, Cockeysville, Maryland, or Baltimore, Maryland on June 3rd, 4th, 5th, or 6th, you definitely want to go check out one of these events. Casual Hang, a bunch of symbols there to check out. Uh, Scott Pelgrim will be there to kind of demo, but everyone can get a chance to just kind of jam, hang out, check out some cool studios. Go to Dream's Facebook page to find out more. If you click on the Events tab, you can RSVP, get all the necessary directions, and so on and so forth. This episode is also brought to you by Alesis. Uh, Alesis Multipad, uh, the Strike Multipad is something we've been talking about for a couple of weeks now, um, and I've been digging into it, and we will do a full-on product review in a future episode, but um, let's just say that if you're in the market for a really high-powered multipad that's built to last, has a bunch of non-generic sounds that come already in it, lots of functionality with looping and effects and layering and all this kind of stuff, lots of outputs, Check this thing out. It is a serious contender. This is going to be, uh, I think it's going to be showing up on a lot of professional stages and studios here shortly. So it's the Alesis Strike Multipad. Uh, definitely check it out. And uh, yeah, thanks, Alesis, for sponsoring the episode again. And this week's intro beat is Derek Gurley. So this is a beat that is based off of a paradiddle, and Derek played this entire thing by himself. So he's got some keys, guitar, bass used some different Apple loops. And then the drum set is a DW kit. He has an assortment of Zildjian saving and Milo cymbals. He's using the Aston Origin uh, large diaphragm condenser, which we reviewed a couple episodes ago. That's his overhead. He's got Sennheiser E604s on the toms, a Shure Beta 52A on the bass drum, and he's using Logic to record. So this is Derek, and let's get the show going. Episode 193. Beautiful Look at day. you. Beautiful day. Landscape mode. I can see <laughs> trees behind you. Can you see the uh, the graveyard behind me? No. That's my view. Yeah, I've got a nice, nice, quiet Is that view. an actual graveyard? Oh, yeah. There's, there's actual tombstones and corpses outside my open. Dear Lord, <laughs> Dawson. What? <laughs> what's up, everybody? <laughs> uh, what's up? You just made me laugh slash hiccup. Uh, that was, I just couldn't even handle what was going on there. Uh, good to see you, bud. <laughs> True, we've got the video thing worked out. It won't be any more goofy uh, screen captures. By the way, thanks to everyone who's listening who did follow the Facebook page. If you haven't, um, you know, I'm, I'm using that to just post the video links and stuff. So it's just Bonadora Podcast. Find it on Facebook, follow it. We're keeping it pretty light, but I appreciate everyone that's been, you know, giving us some reviews there. It's been cool. So yeah, it's, nice it's cool. And, and, and it, grew a lot faster than I was ready for. So it's really great having, it also gives us a chance. We've had a lot of questions from the same people. We've had intro grooves from people and it's, it's great to see their face, then go check out their page and and follow them and stuff. So it's a, it's a chance for us to be a community, which is always a good thing. What's new in your world, bud? 
I'm back into session mode. So I, you know, I, gosh, when did I tear down my studio? It was a while ago, and I had hadn't put up more than three mics in maybe no, I had four mics, probably a month and a half. Okay, but I got a, a, a couple sessions come in, so I had spend yesterday like getting all my cabling back together and rerouting oh. everything, and it was kind of a little bittersweet. I kind of liked only having three mics. I, you know, <laughs> I, it's become my sound now the two mic setup, but there's also definitely a lazy factor involved <laughs> where. It just it's just awesome to be like, well, should I adjust my kick or my overhead? <laughs> I have one phase button to deal with. I hit it, it either it sounds better or worse, and that's my oh, only option. Yeah, uh, it's a yeah. beautiful thing. I mean, it was funny because I, I I had all my mics put away in in the cases and all the cables wrapped up and put in a bag. Like I didn't want to think about that stuff for a while. Right. And I was like, man, what am I going to set up? Well, what's the easiest spikes in, in reach? Like, I'm going to just grab the easiest stuff. So SM57 on top and bottom of the snare. I couldn't find my hi-hat mic that I normally use, so I just put an SM7 on it that I had laying around. I'm like, okay. all right, we're going to just try all this stuff. Now, I had done, a couple weeks ago, we talked about the uh, the bass drum front mic. We did the shootout. Yep. So my bass drum setup is is done. I've got the, the shore inside the kick, and I've got the... Uh, Detroit VR outside the kick done I haven't done any other shootouts of anything else so I still need to do the overhead shootout I need to do a snare top shootout tom shootout so I just grab stuff I'm like I hope this sounds good we're gonna just use this today <laughs> and I kind of like it, sound? it you know what it sounds fine the more the more I record and get experienced with engineering it all sounds fine it's yeah. it's when you kind of don't know what you're doing that you're like I need the right mic what's the right mic eh I yeah. can kind of make it work pretty much yeah and i think it comes down to just did you get clean tracks yeah whoever you send it to is going to do what they're going to do with it anyway so just get clean takes uh and you know one thing that i deal with a lot because of the way the studio is set up we were never set up to be an audio studio we were we're set up to be a drum camp place Mm -hmm. and to film videos with audio always being secondary but I seem to deal with a lot of grounding issues. Like I hear a lot of buzz and I don't know if it's just because all my cables are bunched together, being fed through one little hole in the wall. And um, and there's just electrical stuff. The problem with my basement is most of the outlets are wired backwards. So everything is just, I'd have to chase every outlet in my entire house to find where is the one ground issue. It's, it's a pain. Yeah. And it's definitely something that when my band comes here, it's same thing. Like the bass rig is buzzing, yeah. the guitar rig is buzzing, and they have to like hold their strings with their hands to stop the buzzing. <laughs> right. So, yeah, it's a uh, state of the art here at oldmikeslessons.com. <laughs> Two mics, little ground issue, crushing it. By the way, speaking of mikeslessons.com, we just or I just uh, created my first intro to metric modulation course and the reason why i wanted to talk about it is because this is always a topic that you and i have tackled this on the podcast before but metric modulation is something that it's a weird topic because who needs it yeah not a sure. lot of people in a practical application but when we as non uh, i guess if if we're just listening to music and we hear it, there's something we know right away. Okay, what was that? That was mm-hmm. really cool. And then we feel like we need to know it. I think that anything you can explore tied to rhythm is great for you, even if you're just 
Kent, our, our featured artist today, just playing straight pocket, knowing that these things exist is probably more important than being able to pull them off. He's yeah. never going to use the stuff with Luke Bryan, but knowing that it exists, he might sit in a gig, keyboard player starts modulating over the top of him, and he knows, no, not a problem. I know what you're doing. I'm going to hold it down for yeah, you. Yeah, can center so, your pulse. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. And that's really the the main purpose of this course was was that. But there are also a lot of students that are getting kind of advanced and they've asked for things like, hey, I've been on Mike's lessons for a long time. I've done most of your advanced and pro courses. Do you have anything on polyrhythms or on metric modulation? So I put together an intro to metric modulation course. And I just want to say for all the listeners out there, this is something that I would recommend you watch almost more than practice like try to understand the concepts of what i'm doing that is more important than you actually doing this stuff i would hate for anyone that's in the intermediate and just getting into the advanced world of drumming i would hate for your practice to be derailed by something as trivial as this I don't want you to go to your next blues gig and be like, I can't wait to hit a blues shuffle because I'm going to modulate to a Gadsden groove Yikes. through the eighth note triplet. <laughs> like, that is not what I want you to do. <laughs> that totally um, reminds me of my uh, guitarist friend, Larry Mitchell. He wants to write an article on five things drummers need to stop doing. <laughs> there you go. And that was one of them. He said, stop playing like you're drunk, like that no one really wants to hear that <laughs> no no it's it's and that and it's funny even in the course i'm talking to the camera saying things like just so you know please do not do this tomorrow i want you to know what this is i want you to understand it and i think the real goal that i was a was trying to achieve in this course was i was trying to make sure that people understood the difference between metric modulate metric modulation uh polyrhythms groupings i wanted them to at least understand i know what it is i don't use it i don't do it but i know what it is and then if you choose if, if you're the one person that's like man i'm really into chris dave and i i listen to a lot of robert glasper and, and animals as leaders and it's like by all means go for it have fun with it but at least have a solid understanding so i just wanted to show you guys a little audio example this is a clip from the actual i think this is video lesson three and in this case what's happening is i'm taking our basic pop groove and then inside that pop groove, if this is my eighth note pop groove, I'm using the subdivision of 16th notes, one E and a two E and a three E and a four E and a to modulate into a halftime shuffle. One E and a two E and a three E and a four E and a one E and a two E and a three. So you'll hear that right away and you'll hear the modulation and then you can decide for yourself, does this stuff pertain to you and do you want to learn it? made me think of what's the difference between a metric modulation and a hemiola mm. okay if you had a student ask you that question what's a hemiola is the hemiola the dotted eighth note becoming the pulse 
I I want to look it up, but I would think of a hemiola not having any kind of like when you do the metric modulation, you're implying a different feel with the bass drum and the snare drum placement. Correct. I think if you just hit the dotted eighth without any kind of groove context, that would just be that would be. It just hemiola. becomes the new pulse. Yeah. Okay. So so the. The concept that I went for, and you and I have experienced many different explanations of metric modulation, which and which you and I eventually decided on this podcast, let's call it implied metric modulation because we're not staying there. We are right. not committing right. to a new tempo. We're hinting at a new tempo, but we are always keeping one foot in the old tempo and we will return. So the whole course is based on two bar phrases, two bars of time in a specific groove that is our home tempo and then we modulate for two bars my whole point of this is make the audience feel that the tempo has increased or the tempo has decreased that is all we are doing mm-hmm. but it's not half time and it's not double time so there are modulations where you say you know what if i jump to double time it's just too fast that's not how fast i want to hint at well, there's ways to go slower than double time that are still mathematically correct. Right. Uh, and and yeah. there are ways, I'm sorry, to go faster. And there's ways to go slower than going to halftime. You don't have to, if I'm playing a slow groove, the last thing I want to do is modulate to halftime of that. Uh, but I might want to hint that we slow down just a bit. And there's ways to do that through the use of the subdivisions that are already in those in that meter. So are you learning, do you teach it? Let's put it that way. Do you teach it? To memorize where the kick and snare land and then teach yourself to hear it? Or do you no. do the opposite? So the way that I'm teaching it is we are taking a specific subdivision that let's say that we are in eighth notes um, at a specific at 70 BPM. One and two and three. I'm teaching that you're going to predetermine a new subdivision, eighth note triplets. Three and a four and a one and a two and a. And then you're going to jump into that subdivision as your new eighth note. So you're here, three and a four and a one and a two and a three and a four okay. and a one and two. And. So it's it doesn't need the knowledge. You don't need the knowledge of polyrhythms or anything high level to do this. You can as long as you know your basic subdivisions, you're good. I mean, even in that halftime shuffle example, all I did was make a halftime shuffle rhythm out of 16th notes. It was mm-hmm. our classic. It was one e and a two e and a three e and a four e and a one. You know, it was just doing that type of thing. So um, that's the goal. But in the end of the course, the goal is not to say, "Okay, now that you've got this, run out and gig, kids." <laughs> it's like, "Hey, you may never use this." And I explain my most practical use for this is me never doing it, but being able to be rooted in the time when someone else is doing it around me. Yeah, that's exactly. You know, a, a less deliberate thing that I've been trying to practice is turning on like a YouTube video of someone talking or actually the hardest one is listening to music, but ignoring it and playing to the metronome at a different tempo. Ooh. Like working on technique stuff at a certain tempo and just having random stuff come at me. It's so, especially if I'm moving the click to like the middle triplet or the offbeat, it's so hard to like. Because I can, if there's no other sound, I'm right on it. As soon as I put on, even if it's just someone talking, sometimes just the the cadence of their voice just throws me yeah. off. And yeah, I know, like no, I, Dan Weiss, totally. the jazz drummer, uh, he he talks about practicing that way. He'll just turn on the TV really loud and just see if he can play through it. <laughs> just kind of like shut it out. Yeah, I think that's a, a, a great thing to do. No, absolutely. I, I, I mean. It still comes down to something that you and I talked about in episode one or episode two, which is 
it doesn't matter what gimmick you need, just practice. Right, exactly. Just practice. That's the goal. And yeah. yeah, get better. And we are all I mean, I put up a post yesterday on Instagram with uh, my reflex practice pad and it was an anti reflex practice pad post. <laughs> and it was it just said, What's the best practice pad in the world? Like whatever one inspires you to practice. I don't care. Like mine is Levi's five oh four jeans on my side. <laughs> <laughs> Hey man, I'm with you. I just uh, I just made the move to my summer Levi 511s. Uh, these, these are my light wash for summertime. So, uh, by the way, uh, you and I are going to have to go hardcore next week, right? We got to do two episodes next week because I'm heading off to do a camp in Greece. That's right. So yeah, this is Memorial Day weekend, so everyone have a good long weekend. We're doing this early. We've got to do two next week because you're going to be out of the country, and we don't want to try to coordinate anything. No. While you're over there. <laughs> no, no. I mean, I, I will let you know if like, hey, man, Chris Coleman's totally down to be our guest. Then, then I'll, we'll throw him in the mix. Um, I, I have a feeling Chris and I are going to have some fun just looking around going, OK, did you get an email saying that we were doing the camp in Athens? And he'll go, yeah. And I'll go, why are we at a dude ranch? <laughs> like, I didn't need to I didn't need to fly across the world for this. But then uh, I am going to take a much needed uh, four day vacation in Santorini and in cool. around Athens as well with the wife. So Amber's going to meet me there in Greece and we nice. haven't had an out of state vacation in years and years. So we're going to have some fun. Um, I lied about that. We did go to Hawaii about two years ago. Uh, but, <laughs> well, um, years is still plural. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's been some time. So, all right, let's get into our featured artist. Is that right? No, we're not talking about developing a teaching curriculum. What? I don't think that's in your email. <laughs> yes, it is. Because this whole time we were talking, I was like searching through everything, and I'm going like, usually we talk about education, but maybe Bold I just font right after catch up ten minutes. Education developing a teaching curriculum. It's oh, right you there, mean man. the email you sent me? Okay, yeah. No, I got it. <laughs> what do you mean? What Dude, other I, kind of email I, would there be? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I just skipped over it. Uh, you know, I've I've just always teaching is just not my thing. I hate talking about it. I hate yeah. thinking about it. I like to. I'm just a touring guy. I like to play. <laughs> Light my sticks on fire and let's kick over some bass drums. Let's go. Oh. All right, developing a teaching curriculum. Yes. Yeah, so this is not related to the magazine, but I feel like this is a question that we get asked often, and I'm constantly reevaluating with different students that interact with different ages, different experiences. So let's say here's a scenario. <clears throat> you're going to quit your job, whatever it is, and you're going to teach drums full time. Okay. What would be step one for establishing what you're actually going to teach? Uh, step one for me, and it's funny, I actually just had a business consultation um, meeting yesterday with a former student of mine that has now opened a drum school in Medford, Oregon. Oh, cool. And, and this is one of the big topics was he was, he's kind of teaching on his own. It's built up to a point where he's like, I think I'm actually going to open my own school and have other teachers with me. Should we have a curriculum? And, mm -hmm. uh, and that was a, a question, you know, do you let the kids just like, ah, what, what do you want? What do you like? Or do you say, no matter what we're going through this, I believe that there should be a basic curriculum that, lasts about two to three months if the students are actually putting in their practice time that allows you as their teacher and them as the student to know, okay, we have covered some serious fundamentals here 
and now it's time for you to choose a direction, we're still going to stick with the fundamentals. But at least now I can only keep you in the world of fundamentals without you having any of your say as the student for so long. Eventually, you're not going to see what this is connected to and how this is getting us closer to your dreams. So I want to make sure right around the three to four month period, the student knows, okay, now you decide what you want to do. Now, obviously, if the student's young and they don't have any idea what they want to do, fine. I'll, I'll help them along. But if mm-hmm. the student says, like, I truly want to be a great blues drummer, okay, well, we're going to start shifting our focus now. So as far as starting with creating a curriculum, it comes down to the basics. I think it's scary to teach or to put the basics into a curriculum because you feel like it's already been done so well by so many different people. Mm-hmm. Why don't I just get you Joel Rothman's basic drumming book? And it's weird to write out a page of quarter notes and quarter note rests and not feel like you're stealing it from somebody. Right. But yeah. so but I, I I just kind of think, okay, what are the natural progressions? And I think what we should talk about too is Okay, let's say that I started with basic uh, rhythmic theory. So we're going to go whole notes, half notes. I usually, I don't know about you, but I usually, I'm not throwing in quarter note triplets in the first lesson. No, I wouldn't even touch eighth note triplets for a while. Neither do I. For me, it goes, it honestly goes quarter notes, eighth notes, sixteenth notes. Then it goes uh, syncopated version. So eighth and two sixteenths, two sixteenths and an eighth. Mm. Then we make our way back to triplets. But... I guess what we have to talk about is how far down the rhythmic rabbit hole do you go with a student before you let them have some fun and play the kit? They only need eighth notes to play the basic rock beat. Yeah, that's for me, that's the the challenge. Because I think, you know, I've kind of gone real far one way where I say, the heck with learning to read music, let's just have fun. And then I'm like, well, we can't actually have a meaningful conversation about what you're trying to play on the drums without learning right. how to read it's not learning how to read. It's like learning how to the basic arithmetic of music. You have to you have to understand how to subdivide Absolutely. and pause. And we can't we can't have a conversation until we can speak the same language. Yeah. So for me, it's it's like I think a basic degree of reading, which would be quarters, eighths, sixteenths, triplets, maybe sextuplets, would be kind of like okay. If you can read all the combinations of that, then we're okay. We don't need to get into like symphonic snare drum unless you want to go that way. Uh, yeah. But I think you have to kind of keep keep with that because then that opens the door for me for all the technical stuff that I think of like drumming calisthenics, like roll building exercises and sticking patterns. Like we can stay in that world forever, and I'm still working on singles and doubles. And I'm 40 years old, and I've been playing for 31 years at this point. So, right, I think there's never enough of that. But then, yeah, where do I get to the fun part? I think about my own experience. It was I learned how to read a lot, and I worked on a lot of independence. That kind of set me up for everything. So I think yeah. the fun part is learning grooves that just get gradually more challenging from a coordination and independence level. And then that's Agreed. it. I don't really teach drum fills other than when you get to the fourth beat of the fourth measure, play some 16th notes around the kit, whatever you want to do. Like That's as far as I go with a beginner. Um Sure, but yeah, it's it's still kind of nebulous, and I'm always tweaking it, thinking, "Gosh, we haven't even actually talked about music at all." Like, but sometimes I've tested the water. Like, here, go learn this song, and the student just—it's just too much. There's too much information to try to learn. Yeah, I mean, I, I definitely have songs. I have a whole set list of the gradual 
progression of learning a song and where I know there's nothing in this other than kick on one and three, snare on two and four, eighth notes on the hi-hat for the whole song. Mm. And, you know, if you take Tempted by Squeeze, that's always one of my go-to songs because I could probably get any human being in the world to play Tempted by the end of their first lesson. Mm-hmm. And then they just feel the magic of like, oh my God, I just played a hit single. It's like, yeah. And right. you didn't cheese it out. You you literally played what the drummer played. Uh, and now we just need to get you a 24-inch China for two hits in like the third <laughs> chorus. <laughs> and then we're good. You get the whole song down. So there's stuff like that. And then if you take, okay, well, the you know, the kid's 17. He thinks that Squeeze is the lamest band on the history of the earth. Okay, I get it. How about John Mayer Vultures? Same mm-hmm. same exact groove, same tempo. So I have all that stuff in a set list for myself, for my students. I also have songs that make hearing a paradiddle in your head if we're on the pad very easy. They're very 16th note heavy songs. And okay. I will put those on instead of a metronome. They were recorded to a click. We're in time. Yeah. But the the student hears this. It's like really prevalent through the song. So there's things like that. But I would say for my curriculum, the way it has always worked is it's back and forth between vegetables and dessert. So I agree with you what the, the candy is, what the dessert is. And then I agree with what the vegetables are. I just can't go too heavy on the vegetables because I, I need to keep you inspired. And so it would for me, it would go quarter notes. And eighth notes, no eighth note rests. Those throw people off like crazy. Mm. Um, you know, syncopated eighth notes are pretty advanced for a beginning drum student. And so I don't really deal with any of that in the beginning. And then from that, and then also in that first lesson, you would have quarter notes, eighth notes, the reading of it, then a mix of quarters and eighths, and you would have double strokes as eighth notes. So mm. you're getting your first sticking pattern. On your second lesson, I would teach you the basic rock beat or basic pop beat with bass drum on one and three. And then the other thing that I try to do is on that lesson, when I give you some bass drum variations, this is something that all teachers don't think about until the moment is there. Do you put the bass drum on its own line, which is going to cause the student to have to recognize eighth note rests, or do you tie it to the eighth notes of the hi-hat which allows them to just line it up in a grid. They don't know there's any rest on the bass drum. Right. They just yeah. hit it when it shows up. And it's not really a rest. I never, I mean, I get the reasoning for it, but I don't like that combination because it's not a rest. If the hi-hat is planned, then there's no rest. If you consider the drum set to be an instrument, there's yeah. no rest. If I was, if it was me in fourth grade with my bass drum mallet, like we've talked about, <laughs> right? <laughs> there was some rest in Louie Louie. Um, so... So by lesson two, they're learning grooves. If it's a kid, I can get their parents in the room. I can ask their parents, hey, do you have a song that meant something to you in your teenage years that you would love to hear your son or daughter play? And so all of a sudden, their kid's playing Barbaran. They lose their mind. Um, And Mm -hmm. the parents are involved. The students are involved. Everyone's excited. Then we go back and say, okay, now that you have that, that beat will last you for the next 25 years. So I can let you keep working on that while I bring in this new thing called 16th notes. And the the way that I introduce everything to a student through the curriculum building is when we warm up together, I already know what they're about to learn, but they don't. So let's say, like you mentioned, you might teach sextuplets to the student. If my student and I are going to warm up by trading fills, one of the ways we're 
while we're trading fills, almost all of my fills will be sextuplet based. And I know they can't go further than 16th notes because they don't know any more than that, mm. which is going to cause them to be like, what are you doing? And I'm like, dude, I'm glad you asked because we're yeah. about to learn that stuff right freaking now. <laughs> and then we high five, chest bump, and, and we're off to the races. So I make well, sure that chest the... chest bumping a 10-year-old. <laughs> yeah. I'll knock his ass down. <laughs> But you know what? It'll be in his head that I'm going to, I'm going to do so many pushups that one day I'm going to come in here and knock Johnston (laughs) on his butt. So I I guess that my curriculum building is just this back and forth seesaw between what you need to learn and what I need to show you to keep you excited about it. And when I, when I introduce something new, it's a treat. It's like, Oh, you've heard that before. Well, you're about to learn it today. And Mm. so it's always a treat rather than, and then I know that, and I'll prep the student like, Hey, heads up. Today's not going to be a lot of fun, but I have to teach you what dotted notes are. It's come, it's, you know, (laughs) you're going to be in your first year of school band next year. And this is going to bite you right in the butt. And you're going to look like a fool in front of 60 people. I have to teach you what this stuff is. And I just make it very serious and they know, okay, if fun Mike is telling me we have to do this, I guess we have to do this. So getting to more of a um, full-spectrum teaching curriculum, mm. <clears throat> would you have a suggested book list or would you create your own customized content? Like that's, yeah, a, would- that's a weird ethical thing. Like the offered book exists, so I should probably have a student buy a copy of that, but maybe that doesn't hit all the the fundamental stuff that we need to cover, so I have to customize it and I'm kind of writing my own version of it. And then you, um, and then you, you know, especially when you're dealing with. I used to teach, uh, so it was uh, from two to eight, so what's that? Twelve students per day in half hour chunks. Yeah. Am I going to write this, or am I going to run to the back room and just take a photocopy real quick? Yeah. Yeah. And so, and then you're in serious dilemmas of like, oh crap. So one thing, and this is what I was talking to my student about yesterday <clears> on our <throat> consultation call was, um, you know, it's you can't change the fact that like you can write your own linear stuff right now, but just, just be cool about it and cite a few books for reference. You know, Mm -hmm. I, I love those types of things where it says, okay, right now you're going to learn. Here's a page of syncopated rhythms. If you enjoy this stuff, please check out Ted Reed's syncopation and check out the new breed by Gary Chester. And if you're going to, do a linear, if you're going to only do two pages of linear stuff, just to explain the concept, you don't need to make them buy a book, but maybe they fall in love with those two pages and you can let them know, Hey, check out future sounds by David Garibaldi and check out Gary Chafee's linear drumming books. Now here's another one. Do you have students buy books? Is it required? Cause I feel kind of a little bit guilty saying you're paying me for a lesson and now I'm telling you to go spend a hundred no, bucks in the next year. I've never course. had a student buy a book ever. Um, only when they ask me a lot of times um, it's been something where it, I mean, and that's mainly because I write my own lessons. So yeah. I've always written my own lessons. You're paying the money. I can do this. And it's just really rare that a book has what I need because like, let's take um, uh, Joel Rothman's basic drumming book, which is something I've taught out of my whole life. Mm-hmm. We do page like two pages in the front. And then I say, okay, flip to page one forty four. <laughs> And they're like, wait, what just happened? I'm like, well, I don't teach in that order. I don't teach. I mean, that was very progressive. Let's stay on the snare and let's learn our rhythms first for 90 pages. Yeah. Well, I got you to eighth notes. Now I need you to skip to the drum set page. So I would write, like I said, 
there would be, if I had a drum school right now, there would be a curriculum that myself and all of my teachers taught out of, and it would take about three months for a practicing student to get through, mm-hmm. but it would be formatted in the way that I teach drums. It would not be, let's keep all the snare stuff in one little section. It would be, okay, now that you've learned your quarter notes and eighth notes and a, and a few rhythm, mixed rhythms between those, now that opened the door for you to play your basic rock groove on the drum set. But... I can't get you to put that bass drum between the hi-hats until you learn what 16th notes are because it falls on an E or an O. Oh, yeah, right. So yeah. now I'm going to introduce 16th notes, and we're going to learn these rhythms. And and because of those rhythms, we're also going to learn some sticking patterns. And then now I'm going to introduce putting the snare drum in between the hi-hats uh, for your ghost notes. And and maybe in the beginning, they're not ghost notes. It's just rhythms. You're just putting the snare in between the hi-hat. Worked mm-hmm. great for Dave Grohl. Yeah, you don't right. have to ghost it. Hit the hell out of it. It's fine <laughs> by me. So... So, yeah, so that so and then about at that three month period or if it takes a student longer, that's fine. That's when I would then graduate them on to, okay, what do you want to do? Who's your favorite drummer? Who's your favorite bands? And what do you see yourself doing with this? Do you, you know, and sometimes they don't know. And I show them a complete like it takes about an entire lesson, but I show them a whole series of videos that I've collected on YouTube into a playlist. And I just say one to ten. How much do you wish this was you? And I show them literally uh, an Ian Chang video, and he's playing with Wood Kid and Sun Lux. Mm. And, you know, those artsy kids are like, uh, that's a 10. I'm like, really? You dig that? Oh, okay, we're going in a way different direction than the kids said before you who said negative four. Mm. I don't even know what that crap is. I don't want to ever <laughs> see it again. It's like, whoa, okay. And then I show them maybe a Luke Bryan video, and they're like, that right there. I want to do that for the rest of my life. Well, dude, I'm not <laughs> not pushing you into polyrhythms. If that if you want to play arena country rock, mm-hmm. then let's get great at it. So, dude, you should never ask me about teaching. I get too <laughs> fired. I'm like sweating right now. <laughs> That's why I kept it in there. I think it's a good – I mean, it, I think we could revisit it. Maybe we could even – Zero in and say developing a teaching curriculum for first and second year drummers and yeah. teaching curriculum. I, mean, I think it's easy, quote unquote, easy to teach advanced students because you're really just guiding them. It's it's the yeah. first couple of years of it when you're actually establishing. And I've been doing a lot of it, just experimenting. Like, what what does a ten year old respond to? Like, yep, you know the things that I wouldn't think would make a ten year old nervous could make this kid really nervous. Like. Play whatever you want. Well, I don't know what to play. <laughs> you know that totally. a simple Absolutely. thing like that. Like just have fun. Play whatever you want. Well, you got to tell me what to play because I don't know what. Well, to play. yeah, drums were definitely not fun to me at ten years old. They were very intimidating. I didn't understand why my friends had fun with them, and I just couldn't seem to do anything with it. So, I agree. I mean, I think it comes down to being empathetic and putting yourself in that student's shoes and understanding. That the 10-year-old you just taught will not be the next 10-year-old that walks through your door. So you not only have to understand 10-year-olds, you have to understand human beings and the differences. Like, well, this is a very outgoing kid. Yeah. You, know, you tell him to, like, do something in the lobby and he'll dance a jig. You know, it's <laughs> right. like, okay, well, the kid before him was, like, you know, had his hoodie up and sunglasses on like the Unabomber. Like, so, <laughs> is that PC? I don't think so. You can edit that out. But all I'm saying is people... <laughs> All I'm saying is people are different and I treat every student as an individual and I create a plan for them. But I also tell every student, even my advanced students, hey, we're going through this curriculum. If you can blaze through it in two weeks, fantastic. But I guarantee there's something in here that's going to stump you. Mm -hmm. Uh, Right now, a lot of our advanced students on MikesLessons.com are going through hand speed course one. 
because there's going to be something in there. They're like, whoa, I've got doubles at 240, but I've never led single strokes with my left hand. And now mm. I'm down to 65. It's like, well, whatever. That's where you are. You got stumped. Let's let's even out the scale. So I think when it comes to creating a curriculum, the key is creating a curriculum that's fun to learn and fun to teach. That's the other thing that really, really can mess things up. If the teacher themselves doesn't want to be in the lesson, the student can feel that. Yeah. So you as the teacher have to be excited like, oh, my gosh, I can't wait till next week because I finally get to show him or her 16th notes this is going to be epic. <laughs> if you're not feeling that, then the student's going to feel it off of you. And I think that's always been what has separated me as an educator is people can feel how excited I am to teach them, which gets them excited to learn Mm -hmm. instead of me just going like, when are you going to learn this crap? Come on. (laughs) You know, (laughs) like that's how my teachers treated me. They were like, dude, can you please practice? And I'm like, can I, yeah, I practice every day. I just suck. Why can't you recognize that? I suck. (laughs) Fix Uh, me. (laughs) God. Why don't you just go back out on tour with L.A. Guns? You're so mean. <laughs> By the way, I never took drum wow, lessons from the drummer of L.A. Guns. Who the heck was in L.A. Guns? I don't know, but I was just trying to think of the most eight. Because I remember every teacher I had in the 80s, it, like they missed every lesson. I always had mm. subs because it was like, yeah, he's out on the road with, you know, <laughs> winger. And I'm like, really? Okay. I hope you, you know my mom's Ryan paying. <laughs> I did. <laughs> hey, he judged my first drum contest that I was in. Oh, yeah? Did you win? Yeah, man. Uh, I did not. I was 15 and shirtless and uh, backwards Celtics hat. And uh, we can Whoa. play an audio clip in next uh, next next week's episode if we get enough requests for it. Uh, if you're a fan of right-left kick, there's two minutes of me doing that. With no shirt on and a Celtics hat. Why a Celtics hat? Bro. I don't care what anything says. I just like the color green. Were you I was Irish in. for a minute? <laughs> I am Irish. I'm Irish and Scottish. But no, I, I don't know what happened with that. Long story short, the judges were Rod Morgenstein, <clears throat> Troy Lucetta from Tesla. Oh, yeah. Because he's a Sacramento native and someone else that I don't remember. But I remember seeing Rod Morgenstein. I was like, I have that dude's videotape. This is awesome. <laughs> Um, and I tried to be cool with him. I'm like, hey, man, huge fan of the Dixie Dregs. He's like, really? And I'm like, oh, don't ask any more questions. No, I'm not. I don't know any of that. All right, let's talk about our featured artist. Our featured artist this time is oh, a man. serious stud. Uh, and by stud, I mean somebody I have no desire to get into a fight with. Slucher is no joke. That guy looks like if you talked wrong to his wife, he'd punch you right in the throat. Yeah, I mean, he's holding it down with Luke Bryan for going on 12 years now, which is pretty amazing that that even, first of all, that an artist can have a 12-year career at an yeah. NB. I mean, they're, what did they, where did they play? The first ever country show at Dodger Stadium. Sold out. Jeez. First ever Stadium is act. a whole different world than arena. Dodger Stadium is Stadium. no joke. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know what um, capacity is there, but it's insane. So he's had a 12-year run with Luke Bryan, who's insanely huge. So that is so rare that an artist will sustain that type of career and also keep the same band. Uh, so, so yeah, 
Kenta's holding it down. Um, you know, I met him at Nam a couple years ago, and the most unassuming, humble, sweet dude you could ever meet. You okay, would probably well, just think it's someone just hanging out at Nam. Not to tell you how unassuming and humble he is. You know, like three months. So he's had one of the biggest gigs in country for twelve years. Yep. Three months ago, he put up a cover of him playing a Foo Fighters tune. Yeah. Just in his like drum room, just jamming, and I was like, "This, this has to be the wrong guy." Like, no way a famous touring stadium drummer would be playing a Foo Fighters play along. Yeah, and he nailed it, note for note. It was fantastic, and I was like, "You know what? That is awesome." And when you watch him play, I watched so many of his videos today because you can see the progression. At some point, he must have been a serious rock dude, like straight up, because he's got rock chops, like. Mm-hmm. I watched him play a couple or do some clinic stuff and then do a couple of Zildjian videos. And I was like, oh, this guy's got legit. He could have as easily been in Godsmack yeah, 10 true. years ago. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, no, it just like, <laughs> oh, yeah, no problem. I'll do that. You want me to swing through and play some some Candlebox gigs real quick? <laughs> but then, you know, obviously at that same time, country made the shift to becoming more straight down the road rock yeah, music. Rock, yeah. So Power. he can be that arena rock drummer and do it in a country band, which is is awesome. So I found a video. It's on. If you go, to, you definitely subscribe to his channel and watch him. He's got his home studio just playing songs, which is like you said, it's just awesome to see. He's just doing what we all do, just playing songs. Um, but there's also a couple um, clips of him playing arenas, and you get to hear his in-ear feed. So I wanted to drop in one in particular. It's him playing the single "Light It Up." And you're hearing his inner mix minus the vocals. I'm sure that's for legal reasons, so YouTube doesn't shut him down. I can't imagine he's playing a whole gig without hearing any vocal. That would be really right. bizarre. But what I want to zero in on is the fact that this guy's playing to multiple thousands, tens of thousands of people, and he is burying that click like he's at home in a studio. And it, it's to me, that's revealing. Like, okay, you want to play this level gig? Can you do this? Yeah. Can you entertain 30,000 people while not drifting off the click? So let's check out just a little bit. This is, it's called Light It Up Ear Mix on his YouTube channel. Well, there's it would be insane if there was a click there's no way there's a click in that mix <laughs> if he's burying it that hard then I'd, yeah geez louise <clears throat> and there's loops i mean he's you know he's he's just sitting and he's not the thing with most people and at least in my experience is when they play to a click they get a little bit reserved he's still going for it he's still hitting he's playing dynamically he's playing the big fills the signature fills that are on the record but yeah. even then, he doesn't he doesn't drift. The adrenaline doesn't take over to the point where like here's the big fill. I got to speed up, and now I got to figure out how to get back on the click. I mean, yeah. he's just a machine. He's a he's a powerhouse drummer for sure. And I, I can only imagine from the perspective. You know, we always get stuck in the perspective of drummers, where we judge drummers as drummers. 
But judging him from the perspective, if I showed this to my guitarist and bass player, they would have to bite their tongue as hard as he does and say like, yeah, it's cool. But I know in their heart, they'd be like, oh, what a dream to play with someone like that. You know, like they wouldn't want to say it in front of me, but they'd be like, oh, my gosh, I, I, I could do anything if somebody could just hold it down like that. Yeah. yeah. Um, and I think this brings up a, a really good point for all of our listeners, which is that. You have to be great to be successful. I can't get you out of that. You will have to be great. But being great doesn't mean being complicated. He is great at doing very simple things really well with tons of passion, tons of energy. I mean, he bring, you can't play this gig without the energy he brings. So you can't take that for granted. Yep. He brings a passion to it. But you know, he's doing things that in our Instagram world, it's like, oh, this is simple drumming. There's nothing simple about playing this stuff at no. that level. No, I mean, it, yeah, I know where every just, hit sounds like a sample. Yeah, I mean, every yeah, and that's that is in your feed, so it's clearly there's no post production going on. Right. That's yeah. just his board feed. Um, so um, yeah, there's a bit in his story. So he's featured in the current issue, the June issue. Um, he got a very good lesson from his father early on. His dad is is a very accomplished guitar player and singer. He bought his son a metronome when he was very young and said, you're going to need to work on your time. And mm. Kent, I think like all of us, would be like, eh, what are you talking about? I can play steady. You know, that's a naive right. kid, but he practiced with it and he practiced with it. And it's paying off because his gig is to play arenas and stadiums to a click track. <laughs> yeah. I mean, and that's the thing that I, I think gets overlooked. And then when we look at somebody like Kent or Shannon Forrest, the thing is that that is not something the singer, the MD, whoever has to speak to them about. Like, hey, um, is the the worst thing you can hear from an MD is, hey, do you have enough click in your ears? Oh, uh, yeah. What? <laughs> yeah, I got plenty. Why? <laughs> That's a horrible. It's like, oh, damn it. You just got me. Yeah, I can hear the click. Fine. I just suck. Um, so I, I think that those are those things that. I can't imagine, and obviously you and I don't know exactly how this stuff works, but I can't imagine that a singer or an MD goes around Nashville and says, hey, who can really throw some heat? Yeah. I, I got to imagine they're going to say, hey, I need somebody that's super cool, easy to work with, and can play fantastic time. Yeah. Because I'm Luke Bryan. I'm the, I'm the singer. I'm, you know, I, I'm the front man. I, I want to just do what I do, and I want to have a rock-solid foundation behind me doing it. So I think... Kent obviously brings that, but you guys should definitely go down the rabbit hole of his YouTube videos. Obviously the modern stuff's great too, but I thought it was just really fun as a former rock drummer that has tried to kind of make my way into the fusion realm a little bit. It was really fun to see the, the licks and the chops and the grooves that I'm really familiar with growing up in that scene and see him then pull things out and say, okay, that's a little too rock. That's a little too shifted towards the metal world. I'm going to take that out, mm. the, you know, the double bass fills and stuff. But this stuff right here, this works great with country rock. Mm. And now he has fine-tuned himself into a fantastic country drummer that uh, it's, it's a really cool thing to see. Yes, yeah, so check out the story in the June issue. Um, now we need to talk about Dream Symbols has their upcoming – Hangs so this would be not not this coming week but the week after so June third if you're in Brooklyn New York Dream will be bringing their Dream Team to Strange Weather Recording um, you can hang out check out a bunch of symbols buy some stuff uh, Pelagram will be there and then the next day they're coming across the river to Union City New Jersey to Kaleidoscope Sound so that's June fourth both of those are at six p.m. 
And then June 5th, they are trekking down to Cockeysville, Maryland to Stages Music Arts. And then June 6th, they are in Baltimore at one of my favorite studios, Magpie Cage Recording, uh, which is an amazing studio. So it's if you haven't checked that one out and you're in the Baltimore area, definitely go there. So June 3rd, Brooklyn. June 4th, Jersey. 5th, Cockeysville, Maryland. 6th, Baltimore, Maryland. All this stuff is located on Dream's Facebook page. You can RSVP, get address, all that kind of stuff there. Uh, I'm going to do my best to make it to at least one of these. Uh, definitely the Kaleidoscope Sound, unless something else comes up that night, like a paid gig or something. But anyway, check it out, Dream Facebook page. Uh, we also have to um, thank Elisa's for sponsoring this episode again. So I've had some time to dig in with this uh, Strike Multipad. Not enough to have a full-on review, and which we'll definitely do and on upcoming episodes when I do the full review. But I'm going to say that this thing's a beast. Um, what I'm liking about it so far is just the intuitiveness of all the controls and the interface. It's easy to add effects, change effects, change samples, all that kind of stuff. Super easy to make your own loops on it. Um, but most importantly, all of the sounds are not, you don't get just generic sounds. There's each, each preset kit has some stuff in it that, that like, okay, that's a bass drum sample I haven't heard before, or that's a, oh, there's a loop in this kit. Like everything has a little bit something or something melodic. Um, so I'm finding a lot of just inspired. And there's, there's, um, a lot of the kits they are layered. So you hit one pad and it actually triggers two pads. So you're getting two sounds layered on top oh, wow. of each other. So it's, it's, it's different than any other multipad in that way and it's just been inspiring so like the melodic stuff has been cool so it's a cool pad check it out the strike multipad by elisis we will do a full-on review with audio and all of that as soon as i get a chance to take it home and demo it but for now, now just- before we jump into our gear review section i think like do you think that elisis made a conscious decision okay let's make some kick-ass products because that thing just doesn't look cheap second rate janky it looks legit like yeah well i don't know if he doesn't noticed, look like it's okay go ahead sorry. Uh, i don't know if you noticed elisa's drums became its own thing in the past year oh okay so, so maybe they, own, there was a very conscious yeah decision. their own drum division and i can only i'm like only assume that that was the first thing that was the first order was we need a professional level multi-pad that can compete yeah. with the big you know the, the ones well, that's that the thing is on it, the road. It, yeah it, it seems like it's 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 now in that world of like, well, now you have another choice to make, which I think is fantastic. So, yeah. so we'll dig awesome. in more. But yeah, thanks, Elisis. Thanks, Dream. Make sure you go to the Dream Hangs if you're in the area. Definitely check out the Elisis Trek Multipad if you're looking for something like that. All right, let's get into some candy. We're talking about an insanely gorgeous kit from the George <laughs> Way Drum Company. This is their uh, new for 2019 Aristocrat line of drums. And the one you played was Acacia, right? Acacia four-ply shell with, um, I believe it had four-ply reinforcement rings. No. No, it was a two-ply shell. No. Oh. I'm totally wrong. The kit is a four-ply shell with four-ply reinforcement rings. The snare, snare two ply. is two-ply with two-ply reinforcement rings. God, I love when you struggle. It's just wonderful It's for funny, me. you know, because I have to care about that stuff, but I don't. I don't I really. know. <laughs> well, okay. I mean, right off the bat, I was kind of taken back, and this is maybe something that I just have never really looked into because I'm similar to you 
when people ask me very detailed questions about my drums, I'm like, honestly, man, I don't know. It's round. There's a head on top of it. Hit it. <laughs> so when you, I mean, four ply, I'm used to a six ply shell. Do most shells that have reinforcement hoops, are they mostly four plies or is this a special thing? You know, that's something I have to ask Ron Danette. I think it was just okay. a, a George Way thing that they did back in the day. Um, I think of three-ply shells having reinforcement rings. So it's a four-ply okay. shell, close to a three-ply shell, but sure. you know, George Way always did something slightly different. I, that, that's only my assumption, is he wanted to just not do what everyone else was doing and found his own recipe. Now, what uh, are the sizes you got in this one? I got the uh, 12, 14, 20 with a... F- five and a half by 14 snare um and right out of the box as soon as i set them up in the studio and played them it was one of the most inspiring instruments i've ever played um whoa easy easy yeah i'm gonna say it i mean it, they're they're pretty they're gorgeous they're perfectly made i mean that that's kind of i think that's one of ron's um calling cards is every detail has been accounted for <laughs> you know like right every tension rod is just like super smooth and everything is just like even the the thumb screws for the space drum spurs it's just there's no there's no metal grinding everything is just perfectly smooth and and precise so that on, on the surface was like man you can tell this is a really nice drum set because everything is just made really well in fact ron was even upset because there was a, a missing gasket or something that he didn't get in time he's like don't take photos of this kit we're missing this gasket or something like okay wow <laughs> so he's very particular about the details um and I, and it translates to me just as a really inspiring playing experience i mean they part of it was the heads too it's those Danette rezo tone heads uh-huh um and the felt tone bass drum heads it just it's hard to describe. I think we should probably just listen to it. But I mean, I just had a lot of fun playing these drums. And it's like, what more can you ask for? Absolutely. All right, let's give it a listen.
man, I love my drums, but I, I hate when other drums make me jealous. Um, <laughs> you know that it, it's just it's what drums are supposed to sound like, right? Yeah, with a little extra kind of what's the word panache? Is that a word? There's panache. Just a, there's something just kind of extra punchy and vibey about them. It just it seems like a brand new vintage kit. Like it has, mm-hmm. it's such a natural tone. The decay is what you want. I mean, it, it gives you the tone without being dead and thuddy, but it's gone quick enough that you don't have to reach for a roll of gaff tape. Yeah, no muffling um, at any point on these drums, any of them. Bass drum, solid heads. I mean, it has a built-in felt strip on that felt tone, but yeah, I felt well, no need to do any kind of treatment on these drums. I mean, it's just, uh, yeah, it's just, it's a little silly. And the other thing I want to mention is. I find it so difficult to find a great natural wood finish. I feel like sometimes they're just too blonde and too mapley. Um, and obviously the finish, you know, is determined by the wood itself. But this is, if somebody just said wood drum set, natural wood finish, this is what I want. This yeah, is it. Yeah. Yeah. Walnut gets too dark sometimes. Maple gets too blonde sometimes. This is just like, oh my God. And. When I look at it, besides the fact that it has an amazing lacquer, if it didn't have that, if somebody said, yeah, this is from the 50s, I'd be like, yeah, I believe it. If somebody said, this is 2019, yeah, I believe it. It's just, it's a timeless drum set. Um, Yeah, so the, I mean, this is the Aristocrat series, which is new, and and the big difference is the turret lugs. So if if you're used to seeing George Way drums, they have the tuxedo uh, lug. This has the round turret style, which you might say, well, that's DW's lug. Well, no, actually, George Way created that lug like years and years ago. 1953, I believe, is the date. So this is a George Way design that Ron has finally gotten back on the kits. Now, is this in that insane price range? Or, I mean, because this is, okay. George Way, I mean, that's the thing is most of the George Way kits are like shockingly affordable. Yeah, I you know I don't know the exact price. I imagine it's it's a couple thousand maybe at the most for for like wow. I said one of the most beautiful and inspiring kits that I've ever played. So, was this kit in any danger of not making its way back to Ron? <laughs> it was well. It's funny because he told me when he sent, he's like, "This is already paid for. Like it's already purchased." So I knew right away. Okay, I know it's paid for. But he was like, "Yeah," and he called me. He's like, "Man, I'm I'm sorry. I'm going to have to." you know let you hang on to that kid a little bit longer because i'm waiting for the chicago show i'm like it's all good man (laughs) do what you got to do ron (laughs) wow man that's so cool it's it's a it's a gorgeous drum set and believe it went to uh drum center portsmouth so if you're looking to buy this exact kit i believe he has it up there shame yeah nice Nice. Very cool. All right, everybody, we'll check that out. That is, once again, the George Way Aristocrat Acacia drum set. Very, very cool stuff. And uh, at some point, I think we should go down the rabbit hole a little bit, explain to our listeners the connection between Ron Danette and the Danette Drum Company and George Way. Because I'm sure if you're just listening, you're like, wait, I don't understand. what Who's, who's <laughs> right. doing what here? Who's George Way? Who's Ron? Um, but just know that one of the greatest craftsmen <laughs> in the entire drum industry is behind the George Way company at the moment. So, all right, let's get into some listener questions. We've got some audio stuff. All right, yeah, first one here, we're going to go to Andrew Rooney. Hey, Mike and Mike, Andrew Rooney here from Auckland, New Zealand. Long time no talk. Hope you're both doing well. Some context for my compression question. I'm a hack at recording myself, 
But I do have fun with my little four-channel Focusrite setup. And it's always great to hear back how much you suck at the drums. Anyway, I normally use two condensers plus kick and snare mics. This almost always sounds like a bag of dicks to me. So I end up using the two condensers only. And in the way that you've both suggested in previous episodes, i.e. one above and one out front of the kit, both about 40 inches from the snare. Anyway, my question. Having recently experienced the quantum shift you can achieve via compression and totally understanding all situations are different, can you give us a quick rundown of the compression settings you guys use for your two mic setup and indeed what type of compressors you'd recommend I currently only use free plugins, but am not opposed to paying for great sounding gear if it's going to achieve a nice jump up in my sound quality. And again, just for context, I've attached an audio file to give you some frame of reference for where I'm at sound-wise with this two mic setup. So gear-wise, my DAW is Reaper, mics, two times AKG C214s. I have some slight EQ via Tokyo Dawn Labs Nova and compression via Rough Rider. Those are both free plugins that you've suggested previously on the show. So many thanks for that. Cheers. So the question is about our compression settings. Yeah, um, Which, just you go first. I'd... Yeah, I so I use a, a few different compressors, but they're all from the Stephen Slate plugin line. So pretty much ever since I made the move to Pro Tools, I started using uh, Slate's plugins. I, I'll be a hundred percent honest. I feel like you could achieve almost anything with most plugins as long as they're quality plugins. I just like the way they looked. It was like an aesthetic where I was like, okay, cool. I get to put it in my own rack. I feel comfortable with this. I loved how easy it was to swap the order of the plugins in this big visual display and hear what does it sound like if I compress an EQ drum sound or if I EQ a compressed drum sound. So that's why I use those. I don't think that they're better than anything else. Um, were you a, you know, do, were you a yeah. reason user before? I've never used Reason. Okay. I, I hear lots of good things about it. Uh, oh, I mean, yes, it's because it, it's similar, like physical experience, like you're playing a video game version of of. Audio. Oh, really? Yeah, it's very similar. You could like actually yeah. plug the virtual cables into each piece. And oh, okay, <laughs> nice. Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I haven't used it, but I've, I've heard good things about it. And um, the only other DAW that I've been using lately is uh, the PreSonus Studio One. And I, I like that. But um, so anyways, um, as far as my compressor settings, it's kind of weird because depending on what type of compressor plugin you have, they have different settings. Um, I have my for my overhead. I have my, I guess, reduction. I don't I can't pull it up right now because I'm using Pro Tools to record this. Um, but I have it about negative 18 dB. Um, it's at a two to one compression, sometimes 2.5 to one. Uh, I don't really boost any gain. And then uh, what else would there be in there? Um, other settings. Oh, and then my attack for my overhead. It, because of the specific plugin I'm using, it doesn't have it in milliseconds. And I would say it's like a medium fast attack. And then I have my release set at 
the same point and then I'm adjusting my release based off of what I'm playing. If I can hear the compressor breathing in and out, then I change it so I don't hear it. Um, so if I'm playing something kind of fast, it, it, the tempo of what I'm playing and the density of what I'm playing changes my release point on the compressor. But it does, it's not compressing as fast as my bass drum, but it is, I'd say, medium fast. So that's about it. But I, I mean, Honestly, I try to turn on and off my compressor, and it is something that's always changing. I would say when you start with compression and EQ, you over-compress and over-EQ. Yeah, it's exciting. Yeah, Exactly. And almost every video that I make, I seem to be pulling the mix level of my compressor down and down and down. So it's like, okay, let's get more of a natural sound. You know, honestly, the sound that you had with the George Way kit, that's kind of what I'm going for. I just want it to sound like you're in the room with me and I'm playing a drum set. Mm-hmm. Because yeah, I'm so teaching, I'm not tracking, you know. I can explain exactly what I did for that that example because it's okay. it's totally different if I'm recording like audio files for someone's album or if I'm doing a product demo. Totally, totally, different. totally. Uh, so for that, most of the modern drummer stuff I've done in the past couple months, I don't actually compress any of the. You know, if it's two overheads and a bass drum mic, I don't compress any of those channels and I don't EQ any of those channels. I just rely on mic placement to get the right balance that I want. And then rely on my hands to get a consistent dynamic. So yeah. I don't rely on compressor to then make sure my bass drum isn't wobbling up and down. But what I do do to make the recording translate to small speakers and just stay present is I always have a uh, parallel compression channel. So I have an aux track. I put like a standard compressor, like a 1176 sounding, something just kind of normal and classic. And right. I just feed those three mics into that. So then I'm getting this, and that's 100% compression on on the aux. So I've got this heavily compressed version of the three mics that are also completely clean. And then I just bring up the compressed channel just to the point where it keeps the dynamics from dipping down the silence when I'm playing quieter. And that's it. So you, so yeah. if I go for like a negative, let's say I'm going for a negative 12 dB on each microphone channel, the compression channel might be negative 20. So it's it's sure. underneath. Um, so that's my compression. And then on the master bus, I always put a multiband compressor that just evens out the frequencies. Um, and then I do a limiter just to bring the overall level in on my limiter. I'm only looking for like one and a half dB of reduction on the loudest parts. So that's just, right. again, all that is just to keep the volume tight it, uh, so if I'm playing quiet and you're listening to it on your iPhone, it's not silent. Um, yeah. I'm not trying to affect the sound. So, so I think, and that's something that we have to think about too, is you can use a compressor to almost EQ a drum sound, right? Yeah, Cause totally. yep. um, all of a sudden there's this smack there that it's like, Oh wow, yep. that's not how my snare sounds, but that's really cool sounding. Yep. And that's what is so easy to fall in love with. And then you just have to decide, okay, well that, that has a colored sound. You've done something to it, but that's not what drums actually sound like. Do you want to stick with that? I mean, first time I ever heard someone compress my snare, I was like, we should do that forever. That's awesome. <laughs> um, until I started playing ghost notes and other things, and I was like, wow, my ghost notes are awfully loud. It's like, well, if you want, if you want the loud to come down and have that smack, then the quiet's going to come up, too. So, so yeah, so I think, uh, by the way, Andrew, I thought your drum sound sounded great. Yeah. I mean, um, I wouldn't necessarily change anything, I think. No, I, w- I think it just comes down to experimenting. You have to experiment and understand what the compressor does. I do think that uh, nothing wrong with the compressor you have, but like Mike suggested, an 1176 is just kind of an all-time classic. And the, the one of the reasons I lo- think it's important to have that 
even if it's a plugin that you have to buy is because you're actually going to see the physical version of it in any studio you go into. And it's kind of neat to work with a plugin. Then one day you walk into a studio and you see the physical version of it. You're like, Oh my gosh, that's that (laughs) thing. That's always on my computer screen. It's like, Oh yeah, they made that one first. So I think an 1176 is a great plugin to have, whether it's a waves plugin or a slate or whoever makes it. I use universal audio. That's what I have. Yeah. Well, I mean, yeah, it's, it's a UA piece of machine anyway, so yeah, they probably too. have a pretty good plug-in of it. <laughs> All right, let's get to our next question. All right, this is from Scott. Scott Hosreth. Hosreth? Gosh. <laughs> hey, guys. My name is Scott Hosreth. Oh, he said it. I live in central Nebraska. <laughs> and I have two thank yous and one question for you. The first thank you is your episode where you were talking about open-handed playing I myself am left-handed, and I've always played my kit left-handed, set up uh, left-handed. And after hearing that episode, I went ahead and set up my kit right-handed, and uh, I'm just now starting to uh, transition with that. So thank you for this. I I think it's going to open up a lot of possibilities for my playing. Uh, That's the first thank you. The question is, I just had shoulder surgery this morning, so I'm going to be out for a while on my right arm. I can still obviously play with my left uh, left arm and two, uh, two feet. So my question is, what do you think would be things that I can uh, learn right now that I would probably not be able to learn or would not be as incentivized to learn were I uh, playing with both hands? That's my question. And my uh, second thank you is this. As, as everybody says, we all really appreciate and thank you for your podcast. It's wonderful. I learned so much. I'm inspired. I'm challenged. I'm, I'm humored. You're uh, good medicine for my soul. Thank you so much for what you're doing, and uh, please keep it up. I thank God for you guys. Literally, I do. God bless you. You take care. Dang, Scott Bye. trying to make us cry over here. Man, his soothing voice like hypnotized me. I don't remember what his question was. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know what it is either, but I think he should start a podcast. That's for sure. Um, I, I can tell you exactly one thing that I would love for you to work on. You are now starting to play the bass drum with your right foot. You just, by, by nature, because it's not your lead foot, it's not your dominant foot, you're just going to... You're going to have drum ideas that your muscles just can't carry out for you. So I would take, since your left hand is still intact and your left arm is still intact, I would just work so hard on creating 16th note conversations. So pattern work between your left hand and your right foot. Just think about, obviously, you can start with paradiddles and then all the paradiddle inversions. But then eventually start speaking between those two. So keep the metronome at like 60 BPM. Don't let it be uh, quarter notes. Turn the metronome on to 16th notes so that you have the grid to line everything up to and just start speaking between left hand and bass drum. And if you want, you can bring in left foot on quarter notes or on upbeats to make it an independence exercise. And then as you get more and more comfortable with that, move that left hand around the drum set and you're just playing this constant conversation between hand and foot. And it's it's a really it's a challenging thing to do for the if you've never done it before, but it's so helpful. Yeah, I mean, that's the only thing I would maybe add to that is since you don't have your timekeeper hand to work with, this is a good chance to play along with some loops and kind of get used to that. So program Mm -hmm. some shaker loops or download some shaker loops, whatever, and like sink into that world. Yeah. Uh, But yeah, I think that's a great suggestion. Boom. Awesome. 
All, All right. right. So if you have any, we could. I like this audio question. So if you could send it's your so audio cool. questions, we're going to no longer accept print questions. <laughs> you can wow. send your questions of all forms to mdinfo at moderndrummer.com, or you can go to the Modern Drummer Podcast with Mike and Mike Facebook page and submit them there. Um, yeah, so we need more more audio questions. We have a bunch of print stuff we'll get through hopefully next week, but uh, it's time for our picks of the friggin' week. Boom. All right. I've got one. Um, you got one? Go for it. Okay. So this is something I forgot I had downloaded. Um, it's on Apple Music, so let me just find it. It's it's like a DJ um, loop album, and it's all like classic breakbeats that are just looped for like five minutes so you can play along to it. So just give me a second. I just played it. It's called... The Ultimate DJ Sample Box by Paul Oakenfold and Norman Cook. There are, gosh, I want to say there's a hundred different loops. Some of them are drum loops. Some of them are full, like, like funk band loops. But okay, just great practice material, um, just to kind of jam along to some like classic R and B funk breakbeat style loops. Um, it's called DJ. Sample box is the is the is the, the ultimate DJ sample box. Paul Oakenfold, Norman Cook. Hopefully they got the rights to all this stuff. But either way, it's it's fun. Awesome, very cool. My uh, pick of the week is a website called Premium Beat. Um, so this is a website. If you know the company Shutterstock, uh, they run this website as well, and it's all everything's free. But it's like a blogging website for creators, mainly in in the video world. But there's a lot of audio stuff there, too. And so they'll go into the actual sound design of what it took to make the movie Whiplash. How did they sync everything in the movie Whiplash? If he wasn't playing the drums, someone else was. How did they shoot angles around that? Um, how to shoot video at night, six slow motion cameras that you can afford, the best LED lights on the market. So <laughs> clearly, this is where I spent a lot of my time. But it, it's just a really cool way of seeing how things are done um, from the full on Hollywood film industry all the way down to a level where now a lot of YouTube creators and content creators are trying to make their stuff as Hollywood production level as possible with what they have with a simple DSLR and a couple cheap lights. So check out premium beat. It's just a, it's a good website to get lost in. They have, um, sections. You can just click on a video editing, um, tab or video production or motion graphics. Um, and then they have a lot of downloadable content as well. So you can get, if you needed like an anamorphic lens flare, I, I'm telling you, Mike, you, so with some of your loops, if you just threw in an anamorphic lens flare once in a while, you, that's a, that subscriber follower count would go through the roof. That's what you've been missing. I think you're right. Step up your anamorphic lens flare game, bro. Get Is your that, lower thirds on point. You'd be I think good. That's my body type. <laughs> anamorphic. I'm an I'm a anamorphic. Uh, <laughs> ecto lens flare obtuse angle all right everybody thank you guys so much for listening to this episode 193 was a blast we love you guys and we really appreciate your support please if you get a chance head on over to itunes give us a five-star rating and a quick review that helps other drummers find this podcast 
and we love just staying right deep in that number two slot. We are crushing it, <laughs> um, especially when my microphone's backwards. But it was frontwards today. I can see the wave files. Oh, they are crystal man. clear. All right, let's not get too cocky here. All right, we're going to have okay. Luke oh, Farron send us off. <laughs> <laughs> we just dropped down to number three. So this is uh, an excerpt from something he's working on with his band Raised on Zenith, where they're doing some cool stuff where they're making loops in you know with native instruments machine but they're also looping their themselves the whole band so this is an experiment where they're trying to loop keep adding loops over top of the drums to make it more chaotic so thanks luke farron, boy luke right? farron is that right yeah Ethan i messed it up saying farron a couple weeks ago okay cool take it it's just farron <laughs> luke farron my guy buddy right. luke <laughs> All right, thanks, Luke. Thanks, everyone. Have a good weekend. Enjoy Memorial Day if you're in the U.S. If not, enjoy your weekend. See you, bud. See you.